a study about what I like calling, right, two things why I started on this from Romans 12, 1 and 2, is there's a lot of books put out in the last generation, and especially in the last 10 or 15 years, all about uh, spirituality and how to grow spiritually. And for the vast part of it, to say it nicely, they're all a bunch of nonsense. Or to the point, at, at the very least they are, to the point of they're very heretical. And that is, we looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2. What does God expect from us? What does the Bible itself say the Christian should focus on? And how does a Christian grow spiritually? What is this spiritual life? And first and foremost, we can see from that, it all has to do with our mind. Most of the, the vast amount of teaching out there today is somehow we're trying to like disconnect our mind because it gets in the way of us growing spiritually. I mean, with that is like it, one thing that has grown so much is bringing in Eastern style meditation and New Age teaching into the church. Christian easing it up and saying somehow, you know, that's growing spiritually, you know, uh, you know, how you can get quiet before the Lord, right? Repeat repeat something, repeat something, you know, it's a song or whatever, till you come to the point where you're ready to hear from God. It, go ahead, Dean. Did, oh, okay, okay. And what I want us to see is if when we look at that, why is that wrong? Because <laughs> Well, first of all, I didn't mention this, but the biggest part of that is, one, that's exactly, exactly how they would train you to put yourself under self-hypnosis, or a hypnosis would try to hypnotize you. To get you to stop thinking about and meditating and drawing upon the knowledge you have in your mind. Because he tells us, and we went over that in Romans 12, 1 and 2, first and foremost, what's, a, what's really, it's not a secret, he's revealed it to us. What are we to do because of what Christ, what of God in Christ has done for us and in us? Right? We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. You know, reasonable, divine service. It is utterly reasonable. The only thing to react according to God's mercies toward us and his salvation to us is to live for him, holy. And it goes back to the, great, the greatest commandment, right? To love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of our being. So we dedicate ourselves to him. We endeavor, you know, and, and, and it's through prayer where we make that, we make that specific choice. Lord, I am going to live for you. I'm going to endeavor to live for you. By your grace, by your mercy, by your help, by your power, I want to live for you. We dedicate ourselves to him. The second part, Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphized, completely changed from our old man, right? Be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may no, come to prove, test, know 
what the will of God is, his good, acceptable, and perfect will. And we looked at how the scriptures go with that, right? In Ephesians, he goes through the same thing. You read the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's recounting all, you know, not every single thing, but so many of the things. We'd be exhaustive talking about all the mercies that God's bestowed upon us and continues to bestow upon us. But all he's done for us specifically in salvation and his great love for us, Ephesians 4 comes off, therefore we live for him. We walk according to that. You know, keep it in mind, all he's done for us. And then you go on to, and we went on to seeing in chapter 4 and 22, we get specific, renew your mind. Renew your mind. And then we looked at Ephesians and Colossians, and Ephesians tells us, right, to be filled with the Spirit. And then we can go, well, what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, you go on to verse chapter 5, it talks about it, but go to Colossians, and we see it starts off in Colossians chapter 3, talking about let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And then it has the same exact teaching there. So what do we know, right? How do we be filled with the Spirit? By having the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. And it means just how it sounds, being filled, dwelling. You look up those words, probably the same thing. To occupy, to take over completely, to fully devote to. Right? We are to be, you know, filled with the Spirit because as believers, if we are sin sincerely trusted in Christ, He's given us His Spirit, but we've been created a new creature. But now we got to put off that old man. That's a determining, Lord, I endeavor to live for you, right? We endeavor to put him off and to put on the new man, which God has created in righteous and true holiness in Christ. And only believers can do this because he must be spiritually discerned to have the word of God work in you. But that the word of God just works in a believer's life to completely completely teach us about God, and so we come to know God. It's another thing in all these books, they talk about knowing God like in this disconnected, kind of eerie way, like spiritually, fully it's hard to even understand. What does it mean by knowing him? Knowing all about him. You know, I know my wife. Why? I spend time with her. I know God. How? Because I spend time with him. And the main way I spend time with him is in his word. But also, and that teaches me, our prayer lives, you know, our prayer lives, but they're directly connected to the Word of God because the more we understand, the more we're going to be praying according to the will of God and asking Him. But all of that comes in with the Word of God knowing. And I just uh, want us to look at a few other places and seeing that, you know, what just what the Bible itself, what the Word of God itself tells us about the power, the power of the Word of God in believers' lives. If you would quickly turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and those of you that have been attending here any time know we, we consistently talk about these things, but we're going to learn it's a good thing to talk about these things, because... Right, we know, right, we have three main enemies out there. The world itself, the devil and his minions, and of course our flesh. 
or unredeemed flesh, right? All run contrary to the Spirit. <clears throat> but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16, right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. And you can read that, that perfect, right? Complete. And by the way, there's nothing beyond complete. If you're complete, you're complete, right? You don't add anything, you know, not, not mutants. <laughs> may be complete, thoroughly finished, and you know, thoroughly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, Scripture would teach us, reprove us, correct us, instruct us, that to the point we would be complete, thoroughly furnished, absolutely needing nothing unto all good works. And then, of course, he goes on. He goes on in chapter 4, right? What's the main, main charge he gives to Timothy, right? Is to preach that word. For the time will come without an endure sound doctrine, right? But I want us to notice a couple other things. Second Timothy, we've got to remember, you could call it the last will and testament of Paul, in a sense, because he was shortly put to death after this, and he knew it. He knew he was about to die for the Lord. And if you go on in chapter 4 there of Second Timothy, and he's given some, Timothy some instructions in that because he, he holds for Timothy to come and visit him. The cloak that I, in, in verse 13, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. So even though he knew he was about to die, he knew it would be soon, he didn't know exactly, but he knew he was about to die, he still wanted the scriptures. We never, never get to a point. Right? If Paul... Who God, you know, graciously gifted so much, right? And I, I like being exact. I know some people say he wrote two-thirds, but technically if you go with words and that, he wrote about 40% of the Bible, but okay, two-thirds of the books. But he was so gifted, but even near the end of his life, he still intended on reading Scripture. Till, his, till I believe, till his last breath. Because then go on to Peter, Second Peter, which is also his last will and testament, so to speak, the last words we have in Scripture from Peter. <clears throat> and in Second Peter, you notice his whole thing rounds up the last words we have recorded from Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? And we go, we go beyond that. You go back to the start of 2 Peter. And first of all, you go to 1 Peter, the, fir the, first, the, the, the first epistle he wrote to them. You notice there he really talks a lot about the Word of God, but listen to this in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings. In other words, what's he doing? What's he saying? Romans 12, 1, right? You know, put away from your flesh, right? Put away all evil doings. Put away sin, right? Endeavor to put it away. Verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, 
that you may grow by. So again, right, you grow by the word of God. Second epistle of Peter, in the start of it, go to chapter 1. In verse 2, and of course, remember this, is he, he's writing to the brethren, to people he considered brethren, born again, you know, having the spirit of God. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And he goes on, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. But how? Okay, he's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. What is that? Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Goes on in verse 5. Okay, he goes in verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, right? And we get to know these and grow in our knowledge of these and our knowledge of him through the word and only through the word. Verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. In other words, virtue, right? Virtuous living, honest living, sinlessness. More and more sinlessness, less and less sin, right? Giving yourself fully over to God, right? Presenting your bodies a living sacrifice. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge. Verse 6, and to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, charity. In other words, presenting your bodies, your whole being unto God. So that's our physical aspect, that, you know, that's our thing, right? We present ourselves unto God. This whole idea, this whole idea that somehow the grace of God, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, gives us some kind of license to sin, or he does not require of us to endeavor to live for him in righteousness and holiness, is nonsense. The scriptures do not say that. It's completely opposite of what scripture teaches. And it is absolutely radical on a doctrine of demons. Verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on in verse 9. He that lack of these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he has purged from his old sins. <clears throat> okay, go down to verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance, right? Put him in remembrance. Things he's already taught them, but again, what? So you can call these things to mind. That you know them and be established in the present truth. So he believed these, these brethren to be established. He had taught them himself. He believed them to be established brethren, well bought up, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ at that time. They, they were growing. They, they, they were, you know, they were settled. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. So again, he's saying, I know I'm soon to die. Right? Moreover, I'll endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Right? So always calling to mind. And then he goes on to an important thing. He's talking about when he and James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? You know that, and Christ was, you know, transfigured before them, 
They got a glimpse of his glory. And then Moses and Elijah were there. But even more so, verse 18. In this voice which came from heaven we heard, well, first of all, what did they hear from heaven? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 18, in this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. What's he saying there? Even though we saw that, even though we were there, the word of God's more sure. We know it to be true. Right? What does the word of God say throughout? Th throughout the word of God, the word of God says it endures forever, that it is truth, that it is clean, it is righteous, it is good, right? And there's true spiritual warfare is between the truth and error and lies, right? Because the devil's the father of lies. And that's how the, the first corruption came, right? Half God said, and got Eve, and then Adam will and disobey, but deceived Eve, right, into thinking that God had said something that wasn't entirely true. <clears throat> so we just know that the word of God from there, right, is the most important thing. But there's some other things that we need to understand that when it talks about that, that the Word of God, right, it talks about itself, we need to realize, because there's been this teaching, and it's actually in a lot of the, I call them cemeteries now, most seminaries now are cemeteries, because the last thing, the thing of last importance really seems to be knowledge of the Word of God. It's all to uh, pastor people, apart from biblical counseling, that, that's unbiblical. You know, if you ever run into that, you'll know what I mean. I'll give you a good example. I one time was in a Bible study. It was another church I belonged to a little while before I joined this one. And I was teaching in there, and this person bought up, when I was in the first time, bought up that, well, they knew someone that had recently, you know, lost someone close to them. And they were going to this Christian woman that could lead them so they conversed with their lost son or lost nephew. Now I immediately started going to do and they and asking if that was wrong. And I immediately went to Deuteronomy and I started to say and you know started to tell them a scripture absolutely forbids this. The pastor at the time, who stepped into my class that morning, he interrupted me very, very abruptly. And he goes, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, Howard, and looks at this lady and says, well, how long has it been? Like, like somehow on that, okay, it's been recent, it's somehow okay to directly, directly rebel against God. Okay, well, it's only been a while. Maybe it's okay for the first month. Maybe it's okay for the first six months. Maybe it's okay for a year to directly violate the commandment of God. And I'll never tell you, that didn't end up well when that just started off a series of events that I left that church. But, right, just teaching somehow where we can comfort people with worldly wisdom 
by violating the very words of God. It's anathema. It's anathema, right? Because God's word is true. Everything else is a lie. If it contradicts God's word, that's a lie. We know that for a fact. But, yeah, go ahead, Dean. Yeah, and I'll say that too. You know, another thing too, right? And Scripture warns us, right? You, you should make sure you're called to teach the Word of God. I think a lot of people, you know, when they... Like, people ask me, like, uh, application to your life. And I understand that to a point, but for the most part, I mean, the most part, to me, I guess I go, well, it's rather obvious, isn't it? You know? Uh, Thou shalt not murder. How do I have the life? Well, don't murder anyone. Thou shalt not steal. <laughs> what I mean is that, you, have you ever heard people say where, well, here, let's pray about that. They're trying to make a decision. And the one, and they have like two choices. The one would clearly, would clearly be contradicting the word of God. What do you mean pray about that? that you know, we grow in knowledge, right? And that's what I mean by that, right? We worship him in spirit and in truth. We got to be very, very aware, aware as of what we're, what we're doing, right? And that's how it is. How do we know? That's why it's so important when he said in Romans 12 too, and in Ephesians, and in Colossians, and throughout all the word of God, is we come to know him, just like eternal life, right, is to know him and know him who we sent. And we know him by his word. And then walking with him. But the first thing, right, we also dedicate ourselves to him. right? Because the two can't be separated. The two can't be separated from that. But... Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's the most important thing, like when it says, like, you know, I mean, <laughs> separation, but I think the biggest thing is somehow there's another false teaching about spirituality. They think, am I a different person here than I am at work? Am I a different person here than I am when I meet my lost friends and family members? You know, lost friends, maybe old friends, acquaintances from work and that. Am I different, actually, What if I examine myself, that shows there's a problem with me. There's a problem with me. Because when he says my whole life's to be, I present my whole life a living sacrifice to him. Well, doesn't that mean your whole life? Isn't everything you do outside the church part of your life also? Yeah, right, it's the whole thing. This whole idea of spirit, real spirituality involves our entire being. That's what spirituality is. And growing that spirituality comes from dedicating ourselves to him and reading his word, right? And, of course, we know from Acts 2, fellowship and communion, but all of that comes from, right, his teaching in the word. The more we know him, we can. But I'd like people to understand because there's a, there's sometimes a disconnect. There's a lot of teaching out there in liberal, in liberal even in seminaries, where there's talk about, well... They say it in different ways, but, well, like the Old Testament authors, you know, they were just writing what they understood, you know, or thought they understood or knew about God at the time, you know, which is just kind of a clever way of saying it's not actually God's word. It's just man's imagination of what it is. Because then they go on to say that's why things are different now. Because we somehow progressed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Right? And then also to show that, and I think most of us here understand that too, right? That, of course, we understand, no, the Old Testament, right, is, is the Word of God. But what I like in that is there are a few specific examples where we're specifically told by God, by the Holy Spirit, that they are the ones speaking. They are the ones speaking and the person they're speaking to is just writing down what they're telling them to. Go to 2 Samuel. I mean, there's other places to do, but I'm picking these things out where you get the implication and it's so clear. But it's not where it just comes right out and says it. You know, I think God, you know, for me anyway, God knows me. They just, you know, are, you know, just, you know, so precious to me. In in Second Samuel chapter twenty three, starting in verse one. Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my mouth. So we're just told out there, you know, they himself, you know, saying the sweet psalmist, the spirit of the Lord spoke by him, right? He declares it there. But go on, uh, just go on in other places, but uh, go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 31, and of course this is where they're trying to, you know, trick him up on, you know, about on the, you know, on the marriage question or who's wife she was trying to trip up Jesus as if that was possible. 
Uh, Matthew 22, verse 31. Our Lord said, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken to you by God? Saying. Right? That was spoken to you by God. So though we know Moses, right, wrote it, you know, through a scribe that he admitted to, it's right there. Jesus himself, who is the living word of God, said, no, what was read was spoken by God. It was spoken by God. We see that clearly. Uh, go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Verse 36, for David himself said, by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thy enemies thy footstool. So again, scripture saying, and Jesus, the word of God himself speaking it, for David himself said, by the Holy Ghost. So we know we're not, you know, they're not speaking of themselves. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. So the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake. Uh, just, you know, so clear there. So it wasn't their own idea. Scripture is rife with these. And you notice all these are referring to scriptures we readily find in the Old Testament. Going to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, verse 25. <laughs> and when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. So in Isaiah, and then he goes on to quote Isaiah, but who does he said said it? The Holy Ghost. So again, it wasn't Isaiah, it wasn't David, right? It wasn't, right? They penned it. They spoke it out loud. Who spoke to them? to say it and have it written. God. God himself. And again, uh, go to Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, verse number 2. And he's talking, right, what advantage then hath the Jew? And he goes on to talk about the Jews, but verse 2, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God, right? The words, the writings, the sayings of God, God himself, right? And then go on to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2. For unto us, was the gospel preached, as well as unto them... Oh, wait a minute, I might have that. Hebrews 3. Oh, okay, wrong one, I was in Hebrews 4 there. Okay. Hebrews 3, 
Verse number 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Right? As the Holy Ghost saith. So what is written there, <laughs> said by the Holy Ghost, by God himself. And going to Hebrews 5. <clears throat> and this is not, uh, you'll hear, well, we'll actually, well, no. We'll get into that and then get back. You know, since we know it is the word of God, what happens, right? Hebrews 5, verse 11, after, you know, he's about to get in, right, and talk about, and talk about the order of Melchizedek and Melchizedek and the high priesthood. And he's going to go on to say a lot about that. But first, he's led by God to say, verse 10, called of God a high priest at the Lord of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Right? The writings, the sayings of God. Yeah, the, it's very important for us to realize, and I think it's real easy for even a lot of people not to say, okay, the Old Testament, definitely, right, the Word of God. Is everything that the disciples wrote down for us, the apostles and some disciples, they weren't all apostles, wrote for us in the New Testament. Is that also considered Scripture on par with the Old Testament Scriptures? And can the Word of God itself tell us that it is? Yes. First, go to <clears throat> go to Second Peter. You know, well, let's just confirm some of this for you know. So for the next time we'll we'll talk. We'll just see that getting upon it's the Word of God, and why is the Word of God so powerful in a believer's life? Because He's given us of His Spirit, right? Because it is actually His Word, and in a believer's life, it has the power to transform us into the image of Christ. But we have to get to know it. And we have to know it. And we continually, continually grow in our knowledge of it. But in 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 16. Well, first we'll go verse 15, right? Peter talking, Peter writing, An account of the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures. So he puts it right on line with all other scriptures, and he's calling Paul's writings scripture. Right? Scripture itself acknowledges that Paul's writings are Scripture. <clears throat> now, go to... i got to find it back here. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.18. 1 
and he's given some practical advice for Timothy, right? How you know how to you know how the uh, Church of God is, is to function, right? Verse seventeen of First Timothy five: Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially to labor in the word and doctrine. Verse eighteen: For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. For the Scripture saith. Anyone want to guess where that's quoted from? Yeah, yeah, amen, amen. Very good, very good. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse, verse 7. Luke chapter 10. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking, such things... As they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. So the one he quoted from the Old Testament, the second, right, of labor is worthy of his hire. That's where it's found. He's quoting Luke. So there we know there's two places, right, all of Paul's writings and at least the Gospel of Luke, right? We know elsewhere. But there's another important thing that uh, people need to realize too. Go to John chapter 14. This is what if you, you ever get you know tempted with that, and it, it could be the enemy, it could be the world, it could be our own flesh, right? Things get in our mind that somehow, you know, maybe some parts of the New Testament weren't necessarily, you know, divine or the words of God. You know, the words of Christ. Well, rest assured, they are. The Scripture plainly teaches us that they are. They read that, but go to John fourteen. Let me get right exactly where that was. Uh, okay. Trying to find where I, just give me a moment. John 14, starting in verse 25, right? These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. And he's talking, he, you know, he, he's been teaching along the way, and they, they would never fully understand until after he dies and rises again, right? But he's talking about his death but the, and his resurrection. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Remember, what's the thing when we study a scripture? What do we need to realize? The audience, right? Who's the author speaking to? Now, I don't know about you, but I have never personally been taught by Jesus in the flesh. He's talking to his disciples right there. Several who become his apostles, but his immediate disciples he's talking to right there, who he had taught and been teaching for three years. Well, he says, when the Holy Ghost comes, he'll bring all things whatsoever he had said unto him back to their remembrance. Okay. Go to chapter 16, verse 13. Now, first we'll go to verse six, chapter 16, verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, right, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will guide you unto all truth. 
For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Okay, so, think with that. So when they were writing, right, it was all things. The Holy Ghost was bringing back to remembrance all things he had taught them, and the Holy Ghost was also the one teaching them. So we can rest assured, along when he's talking, when Peter, Peter is talking about Paul's writings being scripture, and Paul is talking about Jesus' sayings being scripture, and so, right, Paul, Peter, John, Jude, James. Some will say Hebrews wasn't written by Paul. Mike's actually moved me a long way in that. I think it was. But either way, the writer of Hebrews, but all Scripture, Old and New Testament, right? They were, in the, in the New Testament, right, it, we're showing just like them. They were taught by the Lord. We need a way. A lot of things they couldn't understand now. Then the Holy Ghost came and taught them. Then they wrote them down here. We know he revealed... He showed up with Paul on that, right? After the road of Damascus, he went in there and he was taught by the Lord and he had to suffer many things. He was very well gifted. But all these things, it is the word, the living word of God, right? And it just gets me, we talk about this a lot, you know, and that's why I brought up, you know, when uh, Peter, especially Second Peter in the first chapter, just amazing how many times he talks about knowledge, and then he talks about them. Yeah, you've, you've heard me teach on these very things many times. But I want you to bring them to remembrance. Spirituality, true spirituality, as far as God is concerned, as far as our growth as Christians, our spiritual growth, starts in and continues in our mind, our knowledge, because anything outside of the Word of God that we will think about God that think we may know about God, we can't know about God. If it's not written in Scripture, we can't know. If it's written in Scripture, we can know. Everyone that talks about knowing God, it, it, they put all this stuff up there, they can't even really put any direct thing on it. Like It's almost like you're like, you got to audibly hear Him. Or if this isn't happening in your life, you're not really walking with Him. No, do you know Him? And are you growing in your knowledge of Him? Do you know him for all for all the salvific work he's done in your life? Everything that Christ has done for you. Do you know him according to his loving kindness, his justice, his righteousness, right? His everlasting mercies, his great love for you. And also in his holiness, his power, right? His eternality, his Trinitarian nature. The, the things that Scripture teaches, he has revealed everything that we need to know to make us complete and to transform us in the image of his Son, he has given us in his Word. I'm saying it's just Word, because in that Word also, right, there's that Word, right, we also dedicate ourselves to living before him. You know, it's not that we'd be perfect this side, but there's a few things, right, ongoing sanctification. But this Word itself will also continually transform us, right? Going from glory to glory. Uh, one last thing, and we'll close with this. Go to Philippians, please. And in the book of Philippians, it's such a practical thing, but 
I really like Philippians because here we find our brother Paul. One of the most gifted men you'll find in all of Scripture. This is called the New Testament. I mean, he, he was so gifted and so mightily used of God. Go <clears throat> uh, to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. And he was talking about the life he lived before, this way he thought he was living for God and so pleasing to God and, you know, his life before coming, coming to him and being born again. But lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, you know, refuse, right, human waste, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not only my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after if that I may also apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind. In other words, irregardless, forget the past, even up to this moment, right? <laughs> yeah, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Remember, this is the same man that wrote for us in Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. It's the same man that wrote for us Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? It's the same man when he talks about it two places in there, right? That I may know him. And, the, and then the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The man who, maybe days, maybe it was a week or two before his death, wrote, Timothy, if you come, bring me the parchments. Right? The word of God. There's nothing more important in a Christian's life for growth. And of course, yes, we dedicate ourselves to him, but how do we, you know, grow in righteousness and holiness in our life before him apart from the Word of God, working in our lives. It's impossible. I mean, you might put on a show for something, but you ever heard the old joke? Uh, and if you, if, if you ever grew up like, uh, like when I went to a Lutheran church as a child, and it looks like all the deacons or the elders, you know, have been baptized in pickle juice, you know, because life's horrible, right? They all have a frown on their face. Seems like no joy, no peace. That's because you're, you're, you're trying to live like righteously or godly, I give them credit for that, but they've totally missed, they've only missed the boat. They're trying to do it in their own power, apart from the power of God working in our life. And the power of God mainly comes through the transforming power of his word in our life and walking that out. And anyway, with that, uh, does anyone have any comments or questions? Well, all right then. Uh, you know, I appreciate that, and, you know, I know, 
we go on, and especially myself, I know I talk about this sort of thing all the time, but the fact is we, we just can't, I, I don't see how we can stop talking about it enough because day in and day out, I just see the overall Christianity just getting more and more and more perverted in the word of God. All right, it's vitally important. It's, vi it's vital to our spirituality. There's, it just is. Okay, with that, let us close in a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father.